Welcome to On the Balcony. My name is Michael Kohler, and I'm your host. Today, we'll engage with the final chapter of Ron Heifetz's leadership without easy answers with the title, The Personal Challenge. It is the chapter that is most practical of all of them, in that it outlines a set of reflective questions you can ask yourself to better practice leadership around difficult adaptive work. These reflective questions fall into categories of a wide range of principles for adaptive work. The ideas like getting on the balcony to uh, understand and regulate heat and counter work avoidance, distinguishing self from role, and the realization that people often don't relate to you as the wonderful human being that you are, but as the role that you have in their lives. Putting the work in the center and depersonalizing issues. Using partners. And while you do distinguishing between allies and confidants, the people who care about the work versus the people who care about you. Listen, find sanctuary, and preserve a sense of purpose. Now, this is a lot and a really, really rich chapter to read through if you haven't done it. We'll discuss these ideas with a wonderful practitioner today, Susanna Krüger, serial social entrepreneur and former CEO of Save the Children Germany, the oldest and largest independent child's rights organization in the world. Susanna shares her experiences from uh, managing change and crisis during the pandemic and the hasty withdrawal of the international community from Afghanistan in 2021. She explores what adaptive work in the development sector could look like when rethinking its current paradigm. And we'll talk about what it really means to connect to purpose. As always, I invite you to read the chapter. That's chapter 11 with the title, The Personal Challenge. All right. Let's dive right in. Welcome, Susanna. It is so good to see you. Nice for having me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Susanna, we um, anchor our conversation today in Chapter 11 of Heifetz's Leadership Without Easy Answers with the title, The Personal Challenge. And we will get to know you more in a second. But before we get to know you, I would like to anchor us in the chapter and hear a little bit from you. As you were revisiting that chapter, what were one or two ideas that stood out for you? You know, um, I studied with Heifetz 20 years ago. And uh, when revisiting this chapter, it really stood out that the demand of authoritative was a trap and it stood out that I sometimes in the past 20 years didn't listen to that experience anymore. So for the most part, when thinking about leadership, that, that comes as a crude awakening, right? That you're not the one who is supposed to deal with everything or manages everything, but that you engage people and that you really ask, how are you and how can I promote you? How can I bring out the best in you? This really stood out. And the second part, and maybe we can come back to that later, which stood out for me was the 
first part in this 11th chapter, which is called the personal challenge. And there he introduces this chapter with why is it lonely on the point? Because those who lead take responsibility for the holding environment of the enterprise and they themselves are not expected to be held. It kind of moved me because I, as the CEO of Save the Children in, in, in Germany for the past six years, had often the feeling that I was not being held, but I had to hold others all the time. And so that, that, that really stood out for me. Yeah, I really resonate with this. And I think many people resonate with this idea. It is such a, the loneliness and not only lonely, but like it can be a little bit brutal to be that lonely and to feel the, the heat of these challenges. I love that. And I can't wait to, to dig deeper into that, into your experience, into your ideas. As I've been reading the chapter, the piece that struck me, and I think it is related to what you said, was this whole idea of uh, mirroring and this, this idea that when you are, I don't know, stressed or overwhelmed or feeling all kinds of sensation, how often we tend to psychologize that and say like, oh, you know, Michael is just a stressed person or Michael is just an overwhelmed person or versus like reading that as clues for what's happening in the environment. And particularly if you're in charge, like how you or the executive team may be mirroring those dynamics that are going on out there in the organization or even in the ecosystem. You know, in 2021, yes. Afghanistan was again bullied by the Taliban and the Taliban took power again. And uh, I had been in the situation that um, I was in 2019, it was my last journey before COVID-19, before the COVID pandemic. It was um, the situation that I stood in front of all these people working for us in, in Afghanistan, actually 2,000 people. And um, I said, after the question of um, a young woman in the crowd who asked me, what do you do when the Taliban come back? And, and I said, you know, we will be with you. We won't disregard you. And uh, one and a half years later, I found myself in the situation that I personally couldn't do anything. And that actually mirrored a lot of what the organization Save the Children mirrored because we couldn't do anything. And uh, not even camping in front of the foreign office helped much, you know. And it also mirrored what happened in the, in the world um, because. Everything that I felt, the helplessness and the aid system that was coming to an end, kind of, was also mirrored in the, in the bigger contextual environment. And it led to a deep questioning of what we are doing. Are we really have the right leadership in place? Are we doing the right things? And in many people, it also led to depression. <sighs> We're right in your experience, Susanna, <laughs> and I think that's that's the reason you're here. We can't wait wait to hear more about it. I want to just take a quick pause and and invite you to share a little bit more about your your background and the way how we do that usually on this show is is kind of in in the tradition of thinking about roles and identity. 
So a very simple question, Susanna. Who are you? I mean, first of all, I'm a woman, <laughs> a German white woman. I'm a daughter uh, of uh, parents that um, are very special. My, my father was a priest, actually, uh, and, uh, and, and taught and, and preached in a prison. And I'm uh, a sister of a disabled brother who has uh, the Down syndrome and uh, who was a very, very important teacher in my life. I'm an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur. Uh, I, I founded uh, many different organizations, uh, starting from a political movement in the Liberal Party in, in Germany to a new university, to a consultancy um, that uh, worked with uh, nonprofits and corporates uh, to measure their social impact. And then right now I'm, I'm also a founder of a new company in, in Berlin uh, who is trying to really disrupt uh, the nature of giving in Germany. But um, yeah, all of that. I'm also a wisdom seeker <laughs> and uh, a very critical mind and uh, an evaluator. And uh, probably also an innovator, because I always want to change things in the world, you know. So that comes with good and bad. <laughs> mm, terrific. So we'll anchor our conversation in a quote from the chapter. And I'm curious to hear which quote you brought with you. Yeah, a quote that um, actually very deeply moved me was later in the chapter where um, Heifetz says, a sense of purpose is not the same as a clearly defined purpose. You know, you can, you can have clearly defined purposes in, in corporations or in, in organizations, but that doesn't mean that people who are belonging in the organization or who are working with you really feel that. So a sense of purpose, he says, generates defined purposes within any given context by asking. And that is something that really impresses me and moves me because the, the art of leadership and, and the sense of purpose that you give to an organization is with the people you are working with and by asking them how you can help them to become their best. That is really hard sometimes in the, in the stream of things. And when, you know, you have your everyday business going on and pressures are rising. And the sentence really speaks to me because I believe that the most important thing you can do in an organization and exercising leadership is by really listening and asking people how they can be their best. Let me, read, let me read the quote to you again. And I'm going to invite you to slow down with that quote a little bit and, and watch your thoughts and minds and see what images come up as you listen to that quote. A sense of purpose is not the same as a clearly defined purpose. A sense of purpose generates defined purposes within any given context by asking simple questions. The image that comes up is um, the period when COVID hit in 2020, in March 2020. And um, 
I had 150 people in Germany and I was also part of the international leadership team in Save the Children International, where we had 25,000 people. And uh, we had to move into a digital work stream within one week. And um, people were very disconcerted and um, felt that they didn't know where to go. And I had the feeling that the most important picture that you had to give to people was a picture of hope and of belonging. And so we, um, we did all kinds of communication measures. We, we had weekly staff meetings online. We had uh, um, a couple of rules that we defined for every team that they had to do a checkup in the morning and in the night. I did an international podcast where I invited people from the so-called field, like Somalia, Sudan, Haiti, and so on, to really tell us, all the 25,000 people, you know, tell us about where are we now? What are we doing? How do we cope with the pressures and the, and the problems? And so these, these podcasts became a kind of cultural engagement for the community because they could relate to that and they could feel the purpose. So it was not the purpose that we defined as Save the Children. We are ambitious and we are glorious and we are communicative and blah, blah, blah. So people could really feel how their staff on the ground dealt with the problems of being digital and not could communicate directly anymore sometimes with our beneficiaries. And so that was um, a kind of preserving the purpose that I did with the help of others, of course, um, and where I found that was very helpful to really create something of a belonging structure and, and where people could really feel why they're in there, you know, why they're here, even if they are staring at a Zoom conference. I love that. There was a story in Ethiopia, in our country office in Ethiopia, and they had a shutdown during COVID. They couldn't do the work with the children and the families anymore uh, in schools. You know what they did? They actually put on a radio show where they had the classroom on the radio and they had 80 to 85% of the pupils they had before on that radio show. And so we did a podcast on that and streamed it through the whole community of Save the Children International. And everyone was engaged. Everyone was full on purpose and full of ideas and, and, and engagement. That is something where you can connect to, to, to real purpose. So to come back to the citation of Heifetz, this is, this is what moves me in that sentence. So in a way, the, the podcast or the, the streaming was the opportunity to create a space for a conversation around purpose. Exactly. Rather than like, okay, here's the purpose statement and let's go back to that. No, we're, we're engaging and we're grounding ourselves around purpose and that. Exactly. I, I don't believe in 
purpose statements and workshops about culture. I believe that you have to do it and you have to live it and uh, spare yourself the workshops. Just show up how you want to be shown up. And that's how you create culture and, and also change it. And you don't change it through workshops. I'm sitting still with that experience you shared in the beginning of our conversation around Afghanistan and the helplessness, the experience of helplessness as in these very fast week days in, in which kind of the situation in the country changed so much and basically international community was fleeing out and many of the local people couldn't. I'm going to read the sentence one more time, the quote, and I'm curious to hear as you sort of put that quote next to the situation. What's coming up for you right now as you, as you reflect back on that situation? So here comes the quote. A sense of purpose is not the same as a clearly defined purpose. The sense of purpose generates defined purposes within any context by asking simple questions. You know, Michael, I think um, the international community in these countries like Afghanistan, Sudan, Iraq, and wherever, it might be, should be asking a lot more questions and have less frameworks to come in with. And I learned from that experience uh, last year that you cannot impose developmental contexts and developmental goals and impact goals from a Western point of view. It will fail because it is not what generates from the community. So I think the purpose of development can only originate in communities when they say what they want by themselves. And the idea of, of international aid is deeply flawed because most of the time we are not asking what do they really want, but we ask what is in our interest. And that's why I, by the way, think we should reduce international aid and, and put much more effort into local businesses, social entrepreneurship, uh, looking where solutions are being built uh, in these communities, because there are a lot. What we, what we think of in Europe, of Africa, is deeply flawed uh, because there is not only misery, there is so much entrepreneurship. There is so much strength. There are so many cool people around that really know how to bring forward their businesses and their communities. And sometimes they think differently than we. And I think we, we should listen to them. And that's, that's what is coming up when you, when you read out the sentence again. Yeah, that sounds like a big change agenda for the uh, international development community. Well, yeah, there are are a couple of people who think the same, but it's not the majority. And also, it's, of course, um, sometimes a, a problem of um, belonging to an, a large NGO, which I did. Uh, of course, you, you want to um, uh, accelerate uh, what they're doing because they're also they're doing a lot of good things, you know. And, and when you, as I look at the critical points or look at the things that are not working, then, then you sometimes are being uh, portrayed as somebody who, who is not supporting the cause or 
who is who is working against the cause or something and and that is that is the problem when when you speak about these things and um so so i i have not found a solution for that right i was very alone with these questions also in the uh, in the international ngo community but i know that that a lot of people are thinking about these things and they are just um not able to change these huge structures and organizational constraints because they are so stark. They are so manifested. It's like a bureaucracy that you want to change. And, and that is, that is always um, a problem, which brings me back to Heifetz actually, where one of, one of his leadership um, uh, strategic principles is a partner, right? Partner with others. And yeah, I did that, and 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 I had a couple of people um, also within Save the Children, but we were not enough. You need huge coalitions uh, to really change organizations. Yeah. Hey there, this is Andy, facilitator and executive coach at Konu. Thanks for tuning in to On the Balcony. Are you curious to learn more about how to exercise leadership or how to thrive in times of uncertainty and change? Over the next several months, Konu is hosting a series of virtual sessions designed to help you bring some of the ideas from this podcast into your work and your life. We'll explore key leadership distinctions that can help you mobilize people to make progress in times of change, regardless of your job title, your position, or your seniority. We'll also explore practices and mindset shifts that can help you stay anchored and grounded when the heat goes up and take care of yourself over the long haul so you don't burn out. You can learn more and sign up at konu.org slash events. And as a regular listener of this podcast, you can use the code BALCONY to waive your registration fee. That's konu.org slash events. And the registration code is BALCONY. Excited to see you there. I have one more question around that. And then, then I'd love to pivot, uh, looking a little bit more forward into your current role. But what I'm curious around is is kind of the polarity between the humanitarian work and the developmental work, where you know one is a little bit more kind of emergency disaster, you know, in a way maybe in Heifetz language also technical. Like we have some expertise, we know how to like get you know water rolling back again and sanitation and uh, medical supplies, versus like you know the the developmental work kind of potentially being more the adaptive challenges and the the question around kind of you know how how does sustainable development look like? And then many organizations do both or in the nexus between those, those tensions. So how does that play out in your experience, particularly behind that, you know, stark thesis that you put out there around, like, we need to reduce, you know, our, or really shift our framework of aid? I think we have to shift our framework of aid, particularly in the developmental space. And I come to I come back to that in a in a second. The humanitarian space is a bit of a different thing. When a cyclone hits or um, there's an earthquake, there is an international organization or 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 stuff in place where we can help. The interesting thing is that the humanitarian and the development space are actually coming much closer together in the past um, 10, 20 years because there is not only a singular um, humanitarian event that is not connected to a larger developmental question. So, so the distinction becomes 
a bit more complicated. When I say a humanitarian affair or a humanitarian event um, is something that, that is clearer from a developmental one, then this is only one part of the picture, you know? So in the developmental space, I think you... I was deeply uh, inspired by David Snowden. Actually, I don't know if you know him. He has, he has this Cinefin uh, framework where he says, you know what, there are a couple of um, problems um, that you can think of in different leadership terms. So you have one thing where you have a recipe where you can, for example, bake a cake and there is a recipe. Okay, so you know, this is what we are doing. Then there is a complicated situation where you build a plane, you need experts. Okay. So, but you, you also have a recipe, but you need much more explanation for that and much more, um, much more people who are, who are very well educated. And then, and here comes the developmental space. Then you have messy situations and, uh, and, and very complex ones. For example, how to get uh, children into schools, how to enhance youth participation in administrative settings, yeah? So to hear their voices. There you have no recipe. So you have to come in and prototype and really think what works and what does not. And this is the kind of developmental space that we're in. And the humanitarian space is chaotic. And in a chaotic space, you need guidance most of the time. In terms of leadership also, you need protocols, you need something that you know that can work. So, and in the developmental space, we in the West apply sometimes, or most of the time actually, still recipes that we think might work, but they don't. And, and, and we don't allow for, for a lot of prototyping. We don't allow for, for, allow for relearning. And so this is what, what I think has to change. Uh, and that, that is the distinction between the, the humanitarian case where, hey, you have to come in, there are blankets, there are food, there is water that is needed and that's clear, and the developmental space that, that really needs different recipes. And still, they are all intermingled. And that's why it's so hard. Yeah? There are no clear recipes. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah, and... and I can't help as I'm listening to you, like, you know, obviously many of these theories are connected out there, but kind of Haifetz's core distinction between technical and adaptive is so present in that framework and that nuanced framework that you, you just described and, and including the trap, you know, applying a technical solution to an adaptive challenge. And, and it sounds like there's a kind of the, the, the recipe is that technical solution. Oh, this is, this is what we are doing a lot, not only in policy. Uh, we, we are doing that in Germany. We are doing that in Europe. We are, we, are, we are throwing technical solutions to developmental and, as you call it, adaptive, adaptive problems where we think we have the solution or someone has to have the solution. You know, just one guy somewhere has to have the solution. Yeah. And it's just... Not true. And, 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 and I come to what I, what I said in the beginning. Um, there is a demand of authoritative structures and of an authoritative leadership, which is just not working. And, and it's hard to get to grips with that. It's, it's hard to, to live in the uh, ambiguity 
in the chaos and where, we, where you have to navigate, where you have to, to lead people through this and lead yourself through this, because it all mirrors, of course, in yourself, all the anxiety, all the stress, because you think, oh my God, I had so many situations in, in, in Save the Children where there were really big problems where I thought, I have to solve it here. People think that I have to solve it. And of course, I cannot. I can only through partnering, I can only to, um, to find a sanctuary, what Haifet says, you know, I, I went to the forest a lot. And I do a lot of meditation, by the way, that, that helps me a lot. And you also have to really distinguish yourself from your role. That is also something that, that, that Haifet says, you know, people are projecting so much stuff onto you when you're leading such an operation. So you, you have to be very clear that you are not the role, right? Like you are a person and then you are a role. And then you have to find a distinguishing component where you can integrate these two perspectives into each other. So, so that's not so easy. And, and, and that also comes with um, inner development, by the way. Which is something, and maybe we can speak about that, because I think Heifetz is a bit short on, on the inner development. I, I think that he has a framework where he says a lot about listening to others and get on the balcony, but he, he doesn't speak so much about what it takes in terms of listening skills, in terms of living in an ambiguous situation and also living within war zones or, or, or very complicated situations, what do you do with yourself? How, how do you stay alive, right? How do you have the mental capacity to navigate through these things without falling trapped to, now I'm going to order something. Here's the project management plan and, and here's how it works. Yes? Yeah. What have you found useful? In your own experience, like, would you share two or three practices that have, have helped you, you know, stay sane, stay alive, stay engaged, not say like, oh my God, get me out of here. Yeah. What helped was shifting the structure of my attention. And I, I, I had a very important teacher in my life. That is Peter Senge and also Otto Sharma, Otto Sharma with uh, the theory you. And I think where, where Heifetz uh, falls short is like the... The essence of leadership for Otto Sharma is uh, to shift the inner place from which we operate um, both individually and collectively. And that means that you learn to listen differently. So, so I give you an example. You have a conversation with someone and um, you say, ah, oh, okay. What you say, I, I know that already, right? Then you can say, you listen to someone and you say, oh, yes, I can feel that. So, okay, fine. And then you can say, let me experience in my own words what I heard from you. That is a different level. And I think the level of listening requires us to access other things than just logic. It, it requires us to access like open heart and, and, and open conversation and the capacity to connect. So this is something that 
is very important uh, in in not only in times of crisis, but uh, but but in 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 terms of leadership. So, my experience is that I attend in a certain way, and how I attend, therefore, it emerges. You see, so so the quality of the intervention that I do, be it a conversation with staff members, be it a conversation with board members, be it um, an interview in somewhere, the quality of the intervention depends on my inner quality of how I am, right? How aware I am, how much I can listen and not only download and not only represent something. So it, it, it has a lot to do with how am I in the world and how present am I to be able to really listen to people and connect. And, and this is the way how you lead in these uncertain situations. So this, this is one way. Um, and it's hard. It's not, it's messy. It's, it's not clear. And people will tell you, we want more leadership. I want more direction. And then, and then you have to sit in this place and say, yeah, I know. And I will give it to you, but I will give it to you in a certain way and in a certain structure, but not as you expect, probably. So, so this is, this is a way and, and also really find space for yourself and, and, and get away from it all. That is also very important. And being humble also. Like you, you cannot save the world. It's just not possible. And it's okay. Oh, love that. Susanna, we only have a few minutes left and I want to circle back to your current work and your latest, your latest startup. And I'm intrigued, uh, you know, around how the story goes from we need to change the way how aid works to, you know, I'm engaged in a new organization that, that shifts the way how we give. Would you just share with us a little bit what you, what you're up to? Look, we are building a platform that's called Project Because, um, and uh, we are giving people with um, money that they want to invest in, in good causes, the opportunity to connect to each other and to invest in something that is really helping the sustainable development goals. And you know what is different and why I'm doing that is because I think it needs a community to get more private capital into this space without saying that there is no need for government. But we have so many people in Germany and in Europe with so much money and they don't really bring it to work. And so that's, that's, that's what we want to, what we want to do. And also two other things that, that really move me here is I want to give hope to people who really want to change things in this world. Because I think, and coming from Save the Children, where I have spoken about crisis and another crisis and another crisis all the time without ever having a path to a solution other than give, give us more money. So I want, to, I want to build something, a community, a platform, um, a team, together with investors, together with members that, that have great causes, 
which they can invest in and finance and and speak to, uh, engage with, that gives them hope, you know, for, because there are solutions. It's not only problems. We have solutions. We know what to do in terms of climate. We know that. And it's just not financed enough and it's not uh, urgent enough. Uh, and so, so we want to we want to build something like that. And then, uh, last point, coming from Save the Children and, and, and coming from the social space where I have experienced um, project logic for the most part in the in the past twenty years, which means a social organization who has experience, who has great staff, who has knowledge, always have to apply for grants in terms of like one year, one and a half year, two years, and then they have to say how many taxi drives they had and, and, and what kind of uh, staff they employ. And I always ask myself, why don't we fund social innovation the same way we fund startups that making profits? So a startup gets millions when they have a brilliant business ideas, nobody has to give in taxi uh, receipts, right? There are investors who are engaged and believe in the, in the team and believe in the idea, believe in the social cause or in the, in the business cause in this way. Why don't they believe in the team with the social cause? So, and that's why on our platform, we invest in organizations and in teams and not in projects. And that really... I really find great. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So then I'll invite you to close out our conversation by reading your quote for one final time. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close us out with, uh, with a closing question. A sense of purpose is not the same as a clearly defined purpose. A sense of purpose generates defined purposes within any given context by asking simple questions. What is the opportunity now? What is our purpose here? Susanna, looking forward, what are you being called to do? I want to be a part of changing the world into a better place in a humble way where I can be in my fullest and where I can connect to people and where I can help others to be their best. Beautiful. Connection, development uh, on behalf of a better world and in a humble way. I love that. It's been so inspiring to hear your stories, to hear how that, that purpose has been coming to life already in your, in your journey. And I'm wishing you all the best for what's there to come. Thank you so much, Susanna. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll be back in two weeks with our final episode of the season, where we'll talk with the author himself. Professor Heifetz is joining us to look back at this book 30 years later and uh, share both how the framework came about and also how it's been evolving. If you like the show, follow us and please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. On the Balcony is brought to you by Kono, growing and provoking leadership and hosted by me, Michael Kohler. We're produced by Podigy. 
Editing, Riley Byrne, Daniel Link. Cover art by Kenneth Moyo and Rosie Greenberg. Our music is called Change in Blue by Hannah Gill and the Hours. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back for the final episode. <laughs>